The Conservative Party of Canada recently elected a new leader. We're here to talk about what the Conservative Party may do to attract millennial voters. My name is David Birnbaum. Welcome to The Safe Space. With me today are Patrick Scherzer, Jovian Damar, and Leila Mimakoman. So, did anyone here follow the Conservative leadership race? Yes. <laughs> All right, so we have one person. Um, and I think, you know, in addition to the fact that not that many people are engaged in the leadership race is generally, I do feel that the Conservative Party has had a, an especially hard time attracting younger voters. And I want to try and see what we think maybe would get them interested in us or get us interested in them because they are the only part, the only major party on the right wing, which is, you know, quite a, a broad part of the political spectrum. So um, can you tell us a bit about why you were interested in the leadership race? And, and I'd like to see if we would find that, find those reasons interesting as well and maybe go from there. I've always been fairly politically engaged. My undergrad and master's are in political science, so it kind of goes hand in hand. You can't really do any of those things without kind of touching on politics. And I always leaned a slight bit more to the right anyway, I think because of my, because of my upbringing. I just believe that if you work hard and put effort in, that's the way kind of for you to lead forward. And that leads me into, I've done provincial political stuff, federal political stuff, et cetera. And then I was a little bit involved with the leadership race just a few months ago, really. And I think some of the keys to getting people involved, and I think it goes across all political parties, I think there may be a bit more of a youth deficit with the Conservatives, but I think as much as the Liberals and the NDP put a youthful face on, there's still, if you look at the age of MPs in general, are still fairly, there's a large gap between people who are, say, in their 20s and the people who are actually elected making decisions. If you're young in politics, you're in your 40s kind of thing. It's not yeah. like you're in your 20s or your 30s, really. There's still very few people in that kind of realm that's engaged. Mm -hmm. So I think for some of those parties, it just means making those issues connect and talking about youth issues, which some parties do sometimes, but again, some fill, fall short. Yeah, that's very fair. I definitely do think the Conservative Party has a bit more of that deficit, like you were saying, and I found it was hard for me to buy into a lot of their arguments. And uh, one of, some of the arguments they were making that I found interesting seemed to be defeated on the party level. And so um, one candidate who was running, Maxime Bernier, ran on a more libertarian conservative argument. And it was more about fiscal conservative issues as opposed to social conservative issues. Um, one of the things that got a lot of controversy was about um, supply chain management. So that's the, the government in Canada subsidizes milk production and egg production. And that's something that you know, we pay more to protect Canadian farmers. Do you think that is something that is of interest and they should take more of a stance on uh, and oppose that? Or like what types of issues that come to mind for you that, you know, would interest you in politics? I think that's a good example of just why I'm not engaged. Because I don't really care if it's a tiny bit of money that's going towards eggs or milk it's just it's such like an abstract idea and that's usually what i hear the conservatives talking about or when i think of conservative is just issues that they probably do affect me and i probably should care about but i just find it very hard to care okay. about what about, they're talking about versus someone mentions daycare i'm like well i want to have kids that probably like that to me connects with me more than someone talking about kind of more abstract taxes and fiscal policy. Yeah, so like what what can the Conservatives offer me? And I think that's kind of built into what they're, they tend to be smaller government and less things that they're offering 
uh, you as the taxpayer because they want to lower your taxes. Would that not be of interest to you though, just simply paying less in tax? I think, I think it would. Um, there's like, cause lately, I think it's like getting better. Cause before I wasn't really into that as much, but now nowadays, like, I feel like there's stuff I can relate to. And maybe it's cause like the age and everything, but I feel like they're trying, they're trying now to evolve everybody into, into their, their part. Yeah. As before, I feel like it was just like higher up, and that was it. Yeah. One thing I think, I don't know if it's a, a good thing or a bad thing for them, the conservatives have tried to cast quite a wide tent around all of the right wing, really. Um, and they, you know, they used to be multiple parties. Stephen Harper united them into the, uh, the Conservative Party of Canada. But it also, they, I think they've been you know, delayed in terms of moving with the spectrum, I think politics has shifted more progressive and they are maybe a bit more delayed relative to our generation because of the, the further right wing people that are still a part of that party. Um, do you, like, I think that naturally makes sense and there are multiple parties on the left wing. Um, maybe that's factoring in? I think that's a part of it because you have on the right, you have one big tent, which has a lot of views. You can have people more on the kind of libertarian spectrum like Maxime Bernier, who would legalize marijuana, um, have much more free market um, ideas in a whole lot of other areas. And then you have people much more um, to the right socially that don't want any of that, yet they're all in one party because that's the only block on the right. Whereas if you look on the left, you have more options to kind of pick from. You can go, well, do I want full subsidized daycare like Quebec has? Well, if the NDP supports that, I'm gonna go there. But the Liberals might offer something in between, so there's kind of more choices out there. Yeah. And I'd argue if you're looking at kind of big ideas that draw people in, Conservatives aren't going to have big government ideas because they don't want to have, here's a huge daycare scheme and here's this fancy whatever. Then you don't really want that if you're voting for them to begin with. You're going to get more quote unquote goodies if you're looking to the left, which can be more enticing because the, on the right it doesn't seem to be as big. But there are issues like supply management which do touch on people's lives. And there's been liberals like Marthal Finley has written a lot on this too that have shown that they actually do have big impact, but they're not like sexy issues that people really want to talk about. So it's hard to get that connect with people on the ground. And if you don't have that, it makes it hard to get people either out to vote for you or to be more politically engaged in general. And I think part of that too is a lot of the times what you hear in the news is them just opposing all of those ideas that to me sound like great ideas. I'm like, well, why wouldn't we want to do this? And all I hear is, oh, this person was against this, this person was against that. So that I think factors into a bit of the public image too, that if there's something that's an idea, but if you then maybe take a bit more time to think about it, maybe it doesn't make the most sense. And for me, it might not even make the most sense, but it just in theory sounds like a good idea but then they're against it. Yeah, I think, I mean, a big problem with the last federal election is Stephen Harper didn't seem to have many policy proposals. He seemed to have a few key ones that didn't really excite people. And they can, there are still conservative policies. I guess that's you know, what we're trying to think of is what would those actual policies be, but to just be against ideas that doesn't entice people to vote for you. That was kind of you know, part of the problem with Hillary Clinton's campaign is she was just saying, I'm better than Trump, not here are my ideas that you should vote for. Um, and definitely a big thing is you know, less government and less programs, but within that there should be ideas as well. And not every idea costs money either. Um, but I wanna talk about kind of some of the major things and I think a big problem is they don't come to the table in certain regards. So let's talk about climate change. That's something that a lot of people are interested in and you know, 96% of scientists say is a fact, but they're still not willing to engage and say this is our conservative approach 
to climate change. They still think the government shouldn't, uh, you know, intervene at all. I, I know Michael Chong was one of, if not the only candidate who came out and said we should have some sort of carbon pricing and he was booed, right? And it's like, should they not still come with a conservative approach to the problem instead of just saying we don't want to deal with the problem at all? I agree. I think that's Michael Chong stands on one segment of the party, and there is a chunk of the party that does believe him and goes along with that, and others very much oppose and don't really take any action. It's not, I wouldn't say they're like Donald Trump in the States saying it's getting colder, well, we need more global warming. It's not quite like that. It's acknowledged that it's a fact, but instead of actively trying to do anything about it, the party at certain times does kind of sit there and not propose any real solution to move forward, which I think is a weakness because those are big problems. And you can tackle it in fun ways like the Trudeau government can kind of do too. They can go to Paris and sign something that's really flashy and it looks great, but if you can't implement any of those things on the ground, you're not getting anywhere, but it, but it looks good from a PR perspective. But I think that's something that the Conservatives can work on more is some of those bigger issues that are really important you need to at least acknowledge them and move forward. And I think the party's moving in that direction in a lot of ways. I think there's still some problems and some holdouts, but I think in general, and a whole lot of other social issues too, same-sex marriage, et cetera, the party's moving on that. And yeah, they might lag behind some other parties with a few years here or there, but they are moving in the right direction. Yeah. I, I guess fundamentally one of the main conservative one of the main conservative things is lower taxes. And, you know, it's, it's shown that as people get older, as people start their own businesses, have their own family, they do tend to, you know, more people tend to be conservative as they age. And that's part of the reason. Do, like, I don't know, I, part of the idea of lower taxes is appealing to me, right? I, I work for my money. I want to choose how that's spent instead of the government taking it. Um, like, is that an attractive thing to you too as well? I would definitely say so. I just started working within the past year and I'm now just experiencing the government taking 30% of my money. So now I am starting to care more about lower taxes and kind of exactly what we're getting for what we're paying. So what that 30% is going to. But when you're not paying taxes, that's hard to get me excited about that prospect because it doesn't affect me. But now, and I can see when you start making more money and you get taxed more and more, that does make sense why people are more conservative later. Mm. Yeah, and I think um, like another big example of you know what are the conservative answers is with regards to globalism. You know, we are we are influenced a lot by the U.S. and we hear what they're talking about. And the Republicans are like they're they're they've become very nationalistic. They're not planning to engage. They don't want to engage globally, it seems. And I honestly don't know what the Conservative Party's stance is on that. I don't know if they're not that much bought into the globalism or what even their approaches of how Canada should engage. I have a very hard time hearing their messages, I think. I would say they're as global, if not more, than what the Liberals would be on a number of issues. I think, as you can see, all the parties going to NAFTA, talking together to keep NAFTA alive. NAFTA is globalization, is globalism, is free trade. And you can see all the parties, the NDP does have some issues and some of the unions would rather scrap NAFTA, much like what Trump has said, because they view it as costing jobs and moving jobs to Mexico, etc. But with the Conservatives and Liberals in general are very supportive of free trade in that way. And I think that's a bigger issue. That's not a one-party issue. It's an issue kind of across the West of people being able to see this is what globalization does. Its impacts are positive and very broad spread, which is, means it's hard to pinpoint what exactly it does. 
But if your factory shuts down in your town because you have a free trade agreement with Mexico and all the people have gone to Mexico because the labor is cheaper, well, that's a pretty one point, clear point that you can see that says, okay, well, globalization doesn't work for us. But the impacts are very centralized, whereas the positives are very spread out, so it makes it hard to see. And I think that's a challenge for all parties and all politicians kind of to try and keep that, show what the positives are and why this system has been so beneficial. Yeah. I think another key thing is, you know, rural communities tend to be more conservative as well. City centers tend to be progressive. And I think part of that reason is, you know, in a city, the federal government has less overall impact. The city of Toronto has a lot of control over the day-to-day of what's going on in that city, their regulations. But in like rural Nova Scotia, like they have a lot more of a, of a relationship with their MP um, and they, they can be influenced by things like that a lot more because they don't have a big city with a ton of its own money also influencing what's going on there. So that's like, it's interesting um, about you know, what the relationship of the community is with the federal government as well. Um, but I want to ask the two of you, um, you know, when you do hear about politics, do you hear about all of the parties equally? And which ones tend to resonate with you more of the messaging you do hear? I feel like it's um, some way you get your news from because like certain medias will portray different uh, different parts of conservatives and the, and everything else. So like positive and negative. So like certain places you get your media from, your news from will also be positive. Will show you like the, what they want to show you or they don't want to show you. Mm-hmm. So you gotta understand like where you're getting it from. Yeah, that's fair. I would say that the news that I get is quite filtered. I don't hear a lot about the conservatives and the conservatives don't really pop up on the places that I'm seeing my news but the liberals definitely do a bit more and I would say even the NDP pop up more than the conservatives do and when the conservatives do it's when they're against something Mm -hmm. so it's just it is a lot of negatives that I'm getting just in general. So I wonder how can they you know reach out to how can they be in our news coverage more is it like, do we think the sources are really just that biased? Or is it they have a messaging problem and we're not seeing the positive messages they do have? I think it's a bit of both. People want what is interesting and what sells. The media will give you what is a good story and what people will click on. If there's a bunch of cute puppies, you're going to click on the cute puppies. You're not going to read something about supply management's impact on whatever because in general it's not that exciting. So if you have Justin Trudeau running around, even on Halloween, for example, comes down the steps of the House of Commons, opens his shirt as a Superman thing on underneath and runs into the house. What is, that has nothing to do with anything, but it's, oh, look, that's fun, and it gets clicks. The conservative is going to do the same thing. No, in general, they haven't. It depends on who the leader is and what their personality is, etc. Trudeau has one personality, Andrew Scheer and Stephen Harper, etc. Some others have a different personality. It depends what sells and what people want. I think I don't necessarily blame the media for giving people what they will click on, but it is to a degree skewed in a certain way because if you talk to a lot of people, that's what they see is you'll see fun Trudeau stories about him running around in the woods or something like that or giving a fancy speech and then the only conservative thing you'll see is when somebody says something crazy or something else that's not necessarily as positive, which you see with other parties too, but I think it's more skewed that way towards seeing something that's negative to the conservatives in certain lights. So I, I'm, I'm gonna assume that everyone know here, everyone here knows who Justin Trudeau is? Does everyone here know who Jagmeet Singh is? Yes. Okay. That's fair. So Jagmeet Singh is the new leader of the NDP party. And have you heard of Andrew Scheer? No. Andrew Scheer, 
okay, so he's the new leader of the Conservative Party. So I'm actually, so one person knew the new NDP and one person knew the new Conservatives. So that's actually, you know, I was expecting to be skewed, you know, worse for the Conservatives, honestly. Um, but that's interesting. And it is about, you know, we're, you know, what it comes down to is politics is a popularity contest, ultimately. It's what policies are popular, or maybe some people don't vote on policy, right? But it's about getting the message out there, whatever that message is. Uh, so I guess, like, if you were to try and get us or get some viewers on the conservative side, not, you know, that I'm trying to pitch that, but can you think of what they're selling that is actually interesting to the average person? Because, you know, they were in power for 10 years, and they didn't have some sexy messaging. Are they only ever in power when people are sick of the, of the left-wing people? Or do they have a strong message sometime? Or are they just like, you know, people spent enough of our money, let's put some conservative people in for a bit. Like, I think it always goes in ebbs and flows. In general, in all countries, what people want. If you have Donald Trump right now, do I think we'll have Oprah as president in 2020? Probably not, because I think most people will go, we're really tired of this, and they'll pick somebody who's bland from whatever party, that's kind of what you want, as it fluctuates up and down. The celebrity's all fun, but people tend to get tired of that. If you look at Trudeau's father, too, he was in power for about 15 years in total. By the end, he got destroyed in the last election and was, well, he stepped down and Turner ran instead, but he lost very badly to Brian Mulroney because people were just kind of tired of the whatever he was doing. It goes in ebbs and flows like that, and it depends how the economy goes, too. When people's taxes reach a certain level, liberals' deficits are very, very high. Those, that doesn't kick in to a few years down the road. And then when people say, well, why do I have a fee on this, and why are my taxes this, and we're paying more, and why do we have so much debt, then they decide that maybe they don't want that and they want somebody with a more stable hand. But I think it comes down to who the leader is, too, and what they're doing to reach out. I think Andrew Scheer, is, he's only been here since May. It's not like he's been in for five years. He has to still work out getting people to know him, going across the country, meeting people. But I think before, when we had Ron Ambrose as interim leader, I thought she did a very, very good job of being approachable, being out there, using social media in a way that connects with people that previous leaders and stuff have not done. She was very active on Snapchat and everything else, just to things that are more fun to get people engaged. And I think continuing to move that way is a positive way for the party. And I think it's only really been not even a year for Andrew Scheer yet. And People don't pay that much attention until it comes closer to an election. So as we move closer to 2019, I think you'll see with all the leaders in Jagmeet Singh too, all of them will be much more in the public eye. And then people will be able to take an informed decision as to what each person is offering and what they bring to the table. And I think a big problem, honestly, is that it is this, you know, who's running for prime minister. It's become this more, you know, entity position where it's that's not really how Canada's democracy is supposed to work it's supposed to be you know who which issues do I care about in my local community who's the MP I want to vote for and I think maybe if you can get towards that the conservatives might be able to sell you better because it's you know what will work well in your community what am I trying to get you as a person not this like this non-entity position of prime minister you know it's not really supposed to be that way and maybe they can make that sell better um but it just it doesn't seem to be the way that democracy is going and that yeah and that to me doesn't seem like if i was voting i would vote for what party has what they're doing because i wouldn't see how that person how that one person who's in mind if they aren't in power if what or what their total party is looking for if that's not what my ultimate goal is even if that one person wants something it's hard to see how they'll really be able to make effective change versus 
voting for my mayor. That mayor can make a lot of change in my city, but it's hard to see how someone who's on provincial or federal government can make change in my city. Yeah, and I think that comes back to what we were talking about earlier about the difference between you know a rural community um, and a, like being in a big city. Because in some communities, the federal and provincial people have a lot of impact. But in Toronto, they don't like, which of your 40 Toronto MPs you vote for doesn't really have a major impact on the city. But if I have, you know, I had a Northern Ontario region that they have a lot of influence in, they can have a lot more impact, I think. Which I think is true, but it's actually funny that it's kind of reverse because if you look at what the numbers are for voting, way more people vote in a federal election than they do for municipal. Municipal is by far the lowest, but municipal is what's closest on the ground. Your property taxes, you're having your streets plowed, all that's municipal that affects you most day to day. You're being affected by Canada's global foreign policy. Yes, but not to in everyday tangible ways like that. Yet the turnout is lowest because people because there's no parties in Canada for municipal either. So you're generally voting for the person, which I think depending on what riding you're looking in, some MPs, if they've been there a long time or have really good connections on the ground, a lot of them will vote for that person, even if they disagree with the party. But sometimes, and I think the majority of the time, people just look at what the parties are and they'll just check the box even if they have no clue who the three people are that actually represent them and the constituents in either Ottawa or Toronto. And I think part of that too is with young people, if you're not as informed, you don't know as much of what's going on. If you just hear the words liberal or conservative, conservative has so many more negative connotations to me just inherently than the word liberal does. Like liberal means free spirited, free and conservative means safe. So when you don't know anything, if you're looking at just the words, liberal sounds like the best choice. That's a very valid point. Like I, I'm hearing that no, no one here is, well, no one here is opposed to the idea of uh, being a conservative voter. Um, it's just like they haven't sold me on it, right? That's all it comes down to is messaging is really important for winning elections. And I think they've done not a great job of of telling me what their message is as to why I should vote for them. And it seems that, I mean, not that, it's kind of a problem overall um, for political parties getting to young people, but it seems to be worse for them. Um, and I don't know the actual numbers on that, but I felt it, like I really don't know what they offer me that, the, I was quite interested in what Maxime Bernier and his libertarian policies, his more fiscally conservative policies were, um, as opposed to the social conservatism, and they also rejected that. So I was trying to be engaged in the party, and they turned away from what I think would have engaged me. And if you look at you know, who got a lot of the youth support in that leadership race, it wasn't the one who ended up winning. I think it was a few other candidates. So it just kind of, they did a good job of validating my thoughts about them that they're, you know, the party of the past. They're not keeping up with, you know, what young people want. I think to kind of push back a little bit on that, the vote between Scheer and Bernier was extremely close. At the end, it was within a couple percentage points as to what it ended up resulting to. And if you look at what their visions are, their visions for the party are different. But if you look at 49% of the party members essentially backing Bernier and 51% backing Scheer. I don't think that represents the entire party being more backwards. I think you're looking at a very big tent and even within the people who ended up supporting Scheer, there's a lot of different views within that too. Some may just not like Bernier because they don't like supply management. Some may not like him because they don't like legalization of marijuana. But within that, you have a whole bunch of other um, kind of segments with shakeout, which I think does make it harder in general to put policy together because you're not gonna have everybody agree. And as conservatives, we won't come forward and say, 
this is what you're doing, this is your belief in moving forward, kind of like what Trudeau has done on um, abortion, making sure that all of his MPs are pro-choice moving forward. That's one statement, and then that's all they, they have to agree with that. The Conservatives won't do that, so what you have is more diverse ideas, and it makes it harder to come up with policies like that because naturally you're going to have people that don't agree within the party. And that probably makes it harder for their messaging and for their branding. It's harder to put out just a gen general statement or depending on what article you're reading, if they're talking to different people within the party, you're going to be getting mixed views on issues. Yeah, maybe it's just a problem of too big a tent when you're trying to, you know, have every, and really when they say a big tent, very few people are registered conservatives that vote in the leadership race and things like that. So as big as their tent is, it's not a big percentage of the population and it seems to be detrimenting them, you know, most people only pay attention at the elections anyways. And so maybe their big tent three years out of four is hurting them in the year that matters most. It could be a point, um, but it also depends because the, the tent is very big, but you also have to shift to the middle to get swing voters in every election. So each party has their own kind of core constituencies that sit, fit here, but you're looking for kind of the broader piece in the middle. So you have to keep these people that are actually your base and support you and pay money and support the party as well as getting other people. And I think the effect of having that split happen only 20, 30 years ago and having the party essentially be in tatters for 10, 15 years really does make it more cautious when trying to get the middle voters at the same time. Because if you go too much in the middle like you do with Brian Mulroney, you ended up angering the entire right side. And if you break them off, well, then you have two separate conservative parties and then you're actually never going to win because you're not going to have enough votes from either party to form government. So you're kind of stuck in that middle ground to a degree. But I think moving forward to the next election, you'll see more policies um, put forward because I think they're building on a good trajectory that you have to reach out, be more engaged with social media and put forward policy that people want, not just opposing something because that doesn't get you, that doesn't get you over the finish line. It only gets you so far. Yeah, well, on that note, I think uh, we'll end it here. I think it really does come down to a matter of messaging. And, you know, that's what an election is, is I have to want to vote for them. Uh, so I want to thank my panelists for coming on, and I want to thank you for tuning in. I'd love to hear your thoughts on conservative values and the conservative party. Thanks for watching The Safe Space, and I hope you'll tune in next time.